Do turn with me back to Matthew chapter 6. We've just prayed these words. I know they are very familiar, but it will help to have it open again in front of you. And this week we're looking at verse 13, the final petition of the Lord's Prayer. Let me read from verse 9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or if you look at little number five there, the footnote, deliver us from the evil one. Well, one of the pains of learning to be a father is that you get to see so clearly what you must be like as a child of God. And there's one job that runs deeper in every parent than any other, isn't there? Protect, protect, protect. Almost as if an invisible string runs between you and them, one end wrapped around your heart and the other tied to their waist. And every time they fall, the string tugs and it hurts. The thing is, though, part of growing up is letting them run further, letting them learn about risk. And I wonder if that is where I see most of myself in the kids. We're at the time of year now when the roads are starting to get slippery. And with a young child, you know that sometimes that means you have to hold tight to their hands. You lose count of how many times they've been spared a chipped tooth or a bloody nose or a smashed up knee because you had a grip on their arm and you snatched them away just before they hit the ground. Morning after morning on the way to school, that happens. The danger, though, for little boys seems to come around six years old because that is the age they start to believe they are indestructible. They want to run, and the last thing they want is your hand holding them back. And you know it's going to end in tears. Sometimes, though, you've got to let them go. Most of us tend to veer, don't we, from dangerous complacency in our spiritual lives to the other extreme when we've fallen hard and we know all too well how vulnerable we are. Our same little boy who wants to run on without you in the mornings could not be more different when the lights go out at night. You hug, you sing, you tuck him up in bed, and after all of that, every night, Without fail, there is one final plea. Can you stay with me a few minutes? There's a little rocking chair in the corner of his room, and if he had his way, one of us would sit with him on that chair all through the night. And that is essentially what Jesus would have us ask in this last petition of the Lord's Prayer. Next week, God willing, we'll get a whole sermon on a footnote. But the final thing here that Jesus teaches us to ask is that our Father would not leave us alone in the darkness. Weren't those wonderful words we just sung from Luther's version of Psalm 130? The prayer there of a man who is battling terribly with sin and guilt and yet trusting his Father's strength. What though I wait the live long night until the dawn appeareth, my heart still trusteth in his might. It doubteth not, nor feareth. 
So we have asked our Father to provide. We asked him last week to pardon. And our last great need as children of his with fallen hearts in in a fallen world is for him to protect. And crying out to him for that spiritual protection is surely the obvious thing for any true child of his who's just prayed for the forgiveness Jesus taught us to pray for. If we've experienced God's grace yet again in forgiving our sins, then don't we know all too well how vulnerable we are, how much we need his spiritual strength and renewal. Notice though, forgiveness comes first. Many of the people listening to Jesus preach wanted holiness without forgiveness. Have you noticed how often we do that? Our instinct is to jump straight into trying to live an upright religious life. Look up at verse one. They want to put all their righteousness out on show. But in Jesus' kingdom, grace, forgiveness always comes first. And when we come to righteous living, it's a very different kind of request. One that recognizes that unless our Father holds us up by his grace, then we haven't got a chance. We pray this prayer because we can see in our hearts what no one else but God can see. And we don't trust it one little bit. We pray this prayer because we know that the darkness really is scary because there are real and powerful enemies inside us and outside of us. And until the dawn appears and the king returns, we are very, very vulnerable. In fact, as the Heidelberg Catechism puts it, by ourselves, we are too weak to hold our own, even for a moment. Praise God, though, we are not by ourselves. We have our Father's Spirit fighting in us and fighting for us, staying with us through the night. And that's the promise that we're praying for here. Because only our Father is strong enough to keep us from falling headlong into evil and to deliver us from spiritual ruin when we do. Two very real, very urgent prayers then for every child who knows the truth about their own heart. Strong and mighty Father, when I fear the paths are slippery, hold my hand. And when it feels like the darkness has swallowed me, snatch me away. In other words, keep us from temptation and keep us in temptation. Lead us and deliver us. First, then lead us away from danger. When I fear the paths are slippery, hold my hand. Now, slippery paths are unavoidable, aren't they? You cannot live in a fallen world ruled by a fallen devil with a fallen heart still beating inside your chest and think you're going to escape from temptations. And actually, you wouldn't want to. Temptation in the Bible, is not an entirely bad thing. Often it means something more like trial or test. James uses the same word in chapter one of his letter, and he tells us we should count it all joy when we meet those trials of various kinds. And the reason for that is something Derek Prime put very helpfully. Testing 
puts muscle on our souls. What kind of a father would wrap his son up so tightly in cotton wool that he was never allowed to grow up? The tests and trials we face in this life teach us an awful lot. They teach us to rely on God's grace. They drive us to pray this very prayer, to depend on his deliverance. They humble us. They make us more sympathetic to each other. And they fill us, don't they, with new depths of gratitude for all that Jesus did for us in passing every test and in paying for every test we failed. And so sometimes, in his good and loving wisdom, God the Father is going to let us face times of struggle and testing. What God the Father will never do, though, is entice us into sin. James also tells us that very clearly, doesn't he? God cannot be tempted with evil, and he tempts no one. So what exactly are we asking him here, then? Well, we aren't asking him not to make evil attractive to us. He never would do that. But we can do that bit all by ourselves, can't we? The heart is deceitful above all things, says Jeremiah, and desperately sick. And on top of that internal temptation, as our own twisted nature draws us to evil things, there are two powerful forces at work on the outside, the world and the devil. Join those together with our sinful flesh, and you have three pretty ferocious enemies, and we have to be real about that. So let's back up a little then with that in mind, and maybe what this prayer does mean will get a bit more clear. Flip back with me one page in your Bibles, and I think we get the best explanation right there in the context of what it is that Jesus wants to spare us. Chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. God led his son into a time of testing. There's no getting around that. In his loving, fatherly wisdom for the good of the whole world, In that wilderness, Jesus would face the very same serpent who plunged this world into darkness. And hallelujah, where Adam failed the test, Jesus stood firm. From there to the garden to the cross, he crushed that dragon under his foot. But even for Jesus, without a fallen, sinful nature like ours, that was a terrible test. With all creation hanging in the balance, God led him there, knowing what he would face, knowing what he could stand. But it wasn't God who enticed him to sin or whispered lies to his heart. Some of us live as if Satan were just some scary story that we tell our children. What does it tell us, do you think, if Jesus, who came face to face with him, tells us to pray daily for God's supernatural protection. The Bible pictures the devil as someone prowling around us like a lion, ready to pounce the moment he senses an advantage. And nothing quite gives him an advantage 
like a time of testing or suffering or struggle. Slippery paths are unavoidable in this life, and the world, the flesh, and the devil are ready to exploit them every minute of every day. Haven't you found that already? When are you most vulnerable to temptation? When work has been hard, when it's late and you're tired and discipline has fallen apart, when exams are looming, when the marriage bed has been cold. Notice that the problem isn't actually those circumstances that we find ourselves in. The problem is evil within us and outside us. Evil that uses those circumstances to get its way. That's what we need to be delivered from. But often those difficult circumstances are what provide the opportunity. The hard things we face in life are what make us sticky so that evil can get a grip. God the Father in his loving wisdom can allow times of trial like that in order to build us up The devil uses his temptation in a way that's meant to tear us down. The difference is the intent. One is fatherly, one is ferocious. So what should we pray then? Well, we'd be very foolish, wouldn't we, to ask God never to send us anything hard. Just like you'd be foolish asking your teacher never to give you an exam. If they're a good teacher, they know that sometimes it's got to happen. But just because you know you can't escape them doesn't mean you ought to go looking for exams you're not ready to face. That would be stupidly, masochistically naive. If you have one good round on the bumper cars and think, fantastic, it's time to sit my driving test, well, it will not be pretty. We pray this because we know that we are helpless in our own strength to stand any test at all. And if that is true, it is a totally right and normal thing to say, loving Father, however safe I feel right now, I know that this is very, very slippery. Please spare me more than I can resist. Don't let me put myself needlessly into temptation's way. I know, Father, that you order all things, and while you would never entice me to sin, I know that there are many things that do. So don't let me anywhere near those places where I'm prone to slip. Lead me as far as possible in the other direction. And help me to follow the way you're leading. When I hear your spirit speak through my conscience, through your word, help me not to squash down what he says. Help me to listen and to run from the things I know are dangerous for me. And if I must be brought face to face with temptation, hold me back from stepping inside it. Praying this prayer then is a little like trusting your dad while he teaches you to ride a bike. Do you remember that? As a dad, you are desperate for them to trust you. They've got to trust you. And eventually, you've got to let go. But not until you know they're safe. And until then, you have to run and run and run to keep up with them and stay beside them. And even when you do take your hands off the bike, 
they have to know you've got them. The moment it all goes wrong, you're right on the handlebars because they have looked you in the eyes and pleaded with you, don't let me fall. And now they're trusting you to know just how much they can handle. Remember how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 10? God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he'll also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When temptation feels far away then, let's not be complacent. That's the time to pray, lead us not. Hold me by the hand, Father, and lead me the other way, because only you can give me the strength to stand. But what when we've fallen headlong into it, and it feels like sin just has us in its jaws? Well, that is the time to pray, deliver us. When it feels like the darkness has swallowed me, snatch me away. I wonder if there's anything that we are more pessimistic about as Christians than God's ability to change our most stubborn sins. Raise the dead, sure, he can do that. Walk on water, yep, I believe it. Make the sun stand still, why not? But deliver me from my battle with procrastination or lust or anger, not a chance. And often that pessimism makes us more or less give up the fight, doesn't it? Especially in the moment of failure when the devil waves our guilt in our face. Now I've fallen down here, we think, I might as well roll around for a while and enjoy the dirt. What's the point anymore of trying to get up again? But why would Jesus teach us to cry out, deliver us, if God the Father wasn't willing and able to do it. Now, however messed up our thinking might be in those moments of despair, there's a part of us that's right. We are in a helpless position, like a little boy on freefall on the ice, head screaming towards the pavement. There is nothing he can do in that moment to stop what's coming. And when you are utterly despairing of escape from that tangle of sin, it feels just the same. There's nothing you can do. But that's why Jesus' prayer is what it is. It's deliverance we need. We cannot keep ourselves from spiritual ruin by trying harder or by changing up our quiet times or by being more disciplined All of those might have a place, but if we think they will do the job, then we don't know what danger we're in. Good Lord, deliver us. That's the prayer. We can't be sure, by the way, whether the prayer here is about the evil one, the devil, or evil in a more abstract sense, evil things. The same Greek word can be masculine or neuter. It looks the same. That's why you'll see slight differences between your different Bible translations. My suspicion is we ought to read the evil one. Satan was the agent of evil who Jesus just faced in the wilderness. But he had to attack Christ all the harder than you and I to make his temptation like ours. 
We also have that evil inside us, don't we? We have a sinful flesh that he can use. So we can't really separate them in our experience. And with a combined enemy like that, what else can we cry but deliver us? Paul Blackham, the preacher, wrote this. As long as I think I only need a bit of help and encouragement, I will never pray this prayer properly. You see, when you're hanging by your fingernails, you don't ask God to throw you a bag of chalk and give you a better grip. You ask him to grab you under the arm and carry you away under his shoulder. Father, don't leave me down here. Stay with me, haul me away. That is the very first thing we should do when we are toying with temptation or even when we've jumped into it with both feet. Pray this prayer and grab his arm. You are never so swallowed up by the darkness that his arm is not able to reach you. And friend, that is every Christian story, isn't it? Not just forgiven, but delivered again and again and again. How many times has your life been delivered by the good God from dangers that you never even saw? From decisions we made that could have so easily been the end of us, of our marriages, of our careers? Can't you look back now and see that? Perhaps that ongoing struggle is so consuming that you haven't noticed what a miracle it is that you still have people in your life who love you and a home that is held together and you still hold on to Jesus. Over and over again, we have been a hair's breadth from throwing it all away and yet God is faithful. So don't be complacent. You will never beat sin in your own strength, but don't despair. The one great power the devil has is to hold that sin in your face. He will tell you you cannot resist it, and he'll tell you to be so ashamed that you lose all hope. But the cross tells you neither of those things are true. You have a father through Jesus who has promised to be your strength and give you a way out every time. And you have a savior in Jesus who has paid for every time you didn't take that way out. So what do I tell our kids then when they're scared of the darkness or of the monsters under the beds? Well, I will never tell them the monster isn't real. It is. It's scary. And even as a grown man, their dad does not have the strength to fight it off. I'm not as big as they think I am. But I will tell them Jesus has crushed that monster's skull and that his father is far, far bigger than theirs. And if they only ask him, he will hold their hand no matter what they face and never leave them alone until the sun rises at last on a better kingdom. Well, let's bow our heads. Gracious Heavenly Father, you have proven your love for us and your trustworthiness to us again and again and again. 
And so we pray when we feel we are standing firm, help us, Lord, to know our weakness and keep us from more temptation than we can bear. And when we're close to slipping, help us, loving Father, to be quick to grab your arm. And when we've fallen, deliver us, we pray, and restore us in your gentleness and love. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, the Mighty One. Amen.